0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Psychology of Music podcast, hosted by the York Music Psychology Group, and dedicated to exploring the fascinating fields of music psychology, music cognition, systematic and empirical musicology. My name is Dr Mimi O'Neill and I'm thrilled to welcome you or to welcome you back. The goal is to share our work with each other in the field and also to make these exciting topics more accessible to non-specialist audiences so whether you are a researcher a student a musician a music lover or just curious about the way that we interact with music you're in the right place we'll feature interviews with experts in the field who are sharing their latest research findings and providing practical insights into how the new knowledge created can be applied Today, we are joined by Tom Collins, a founding member of the Music Cognition Matters Speaker Series. Tom is currently an Associate Professor of Music Engineering Technology in the Frost School of Music, University of Miami. He is the Principal Investigator of the Music Computing and Psychology Lab there. And in addition to that, Tom was once again part of the UK entry for the AI Song Contest, an international competition inspired by Eurovision, exploring the use of artificial intelligence in the songwriting process. Hello and welcome to the POM Pod. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. Shall we start by discussing the AI Song Contest? How did you get on this year?
1: Uh, Yeah, um, thank you for for interviewing me. And it it went really well. Um, We came third and um, the show was broadcast on um, the Spanish equivalent of BBC. So it was... um, There was lots going on. It was lots of fun. And um, yeah, the song did really well.
0: Congratulations. Um, So can you tell us a bit more about the competition? What are the regulations? What's the process of entry? And and how did you get involved?
1: Yeah, the regulations are quite um, light. Uh, The song has to be less than four minutes. Um, Ours is three minutes, 59 seconds, and usually is. We've got more ideas than there is time (laughs) um, to fill. Um, and the, um, it, it, the the entries kind of span um, a spectrum from you can sometimes tell that it's a submission where someone's pressed a, a button and, and an algorithm has generated everything from beginning to end. And then other entries, there's you know, a lot of human craft, a lot of what people are, are calling co-creation with AI. and our entry this year. Was definitely in in that category. Uh, I've been involved in teams that have entered this um, contest four times now, and and um, so where our uh, our work sits on that spectrum is also varied a bit as well. The other thing you submit is something called a process document. So that's kind of like a it's a written account of you know what all has gone into a song and um, the contest is judged by, you know, an expert panel and also by members of the public. I don't think the members of the public see the the um, the process document. I mean, you know, they wouldn't necessarily want to read it anyway if they did see them. I don't think they're necessarily also hidden away or secret, but um, basically they evaluate it on listening to the songs, but the judges also pay close attention to, the ingenuity or the novelty or the extent to which AI has been used.
0: Yeah, really interesting. And you're part of a team. You're one of many collaborators who put this together. Who are these collaborators and what should we know about them?
1: The uh, collaborators this year um, are Kemi, uh, Kemi Sulola, who's an independent artist uh, and singer-songwriter based in London, uh, Harriet Rayner, who is um, on the Music and Sound Recording course at York. Um, And then we've got four um, researchers who are um, all PhD students. Um, Three supervised by me, those uh, Adrian Barahona-Rios, Chen Yu Gao and Kyle Worrell, and then um, uh, Mark Hanslip, um, who's supervised by Federico Rubin.
0: Ooh. Um And so how did you get involved with this team or just with the contest generally?
1: Yeah, it ran for the first time in 2020. And um, the first I heard about it was at the International Society for Music Information Retrieval Conference, or ISMIR for short. It was held in Delft in the Netherlands in uh, late 2019. And um, I met with uh, Vincent koops who I knew from a previous Izmir and he introduced me to someone called Karen Van Dyke who at the time um, worked at a Dutch broadcaster called vpro and they were interested in starting this AI song contest and since I was already doing work in the um area of generating music um I was very enthusiastic about you know either trying to help to organize the contest or you know as it transpired uh participating I think they were you know trying to get enough people to come to the party um and so I did I did that and it was it's been a great showcase I think for my research so I'm pleased I'm pleased it's it's continued and it's grown
0: yeah absolutely um and we're really lucky we're gonna be able to play you a little clip but before we do Tom do you want to just describe this year's entry to us
1: sure uh so it's called vertigo or um vtgo for for short because nothing's spelt correctly these days um, <laughs> and um the song is um it's it's kind of got a, a, a bounce and an energy to it but um the words are, are kind of somewhat darker in tone I'd say it's about a, a toxic um relationship that's kind of on and on and off and um the the sound world in various moments in the song, tries to kind of create uh, a perception or a sense of vertigo in the listener. In previous years, we had done a lot um, more generation of the bones of the song from AI. So by that, I mean things like generating melodies, generating drum beats, bass lines, chord sequences, lyrics. um, And then the human craft had really been in the music production aspects of, you know, how do we make the sound expressive and well-finished rather than just fire off some MIDI all at the same velocity. Um, this year we actually focused more on AI that can be used to re-render one sound according to characteristics or timbres of another sound world. Um, so I could say more about that in in a moment, but basically Kemi had a melody like a few weeks into the project, you know, a melody just popped into her head and it's the main melody of the chorus. And so this year, um, less of the songs, uh, bones or skeleton uh, was AI generated uh, and more of the music production aspects were.
0: Right, so here it is, a short clip of Vertigo this year's UK entry to the AI song contest. It's me, it's bringing me it spins me opinion is ai taking us to the next level of creativity or are we using it perhaps as a replacement and actually related to that should artists be concerned about that replacement and i suppose what i'm asking is is the societal fear of ai justified in this context
1: yeah big big questions good questions the um the the answer in terms of you know how is it being used it's being used in both ways already i think the ai song contest and also other activities you know separate from that demonstrate its use to kind of take us to the next level of our creativity or to basically put us in creative spaces that as humans alone we perhaps could not gain access to uh, or occupy so that's pretty cool um but then it's also being used in a kind of um like a one click gives you content way as well which um you know i think the concerns about that are, are justified um in that if uh, something somebody like an advertising company wants 30 seconds of content and one of their employees who they're already paying can just write what they would like something to sound like and get the audio they're clearly going to do that rather than hire a composer so for composers or produce producers or musicians who have have made a living from, say, jingle or or um, advertising music, writing s- to pay bills, and then, you know, do other projects, you know, use that to fund other projects, they're more interested in, I think that's going to, uh, unfortunately, change. And I think the only the only way that that would be undermined would be through kind of copyright infringement cases, you know, I, I think a big uh, blind spot, if you will, at the moment, is that a lot of the, it's mainly, to be honest, companies, um, it's Google, it's OpenAI, it's Adobe, it's Meta, they've got these models that are trained on thousands of hours of music. They pay scant attention in the evaluation of the model outputs to the extent to which the output is original. No one's had the time to listen to all the training data, it would take years and you wouldn't be able to retain it in your brain, even if you did. So I think a big question is still around, you know, where's that training data come from? Did anyone give them permission to use it in this way? Um, I've used training data in that way. So I personally, I don't have a problem with training on um, copyright music I think it's kind of what we do as human musicians anyway um, you know when we're inspired by something if we drill down into what inspiration is it's often like borrowing but at a relatively high level or in, in, in an ingenious fashion I guess what I have a problem with is people passing off as novel something that actually might be verbatim or might be chunks of the training data just like smooshed together
0: That makes sense. Total sense. And I suppose this is an example of perhaps the technology is evolving and improving faster than the legislation can keep up with it.
1: Yeah. Legislation is one thing. And then the other thing is coming up with the algorithms that can effectively do the checking. Um, I think sometimes the, the solutions are hiding in plain sight. Like for instance, YouTube owned by Google has a copyright infringement check when someone uploads something to youtube right i don't see that same algorithm being used in evaluating the originality of computer generated music even when it's a paper that's come from google so it's it's interesting when they do and don't bother to (laughs) to check copyright infringement
0: Mm, selective application yes so how does this relate then more generally to your research and work
1: I've been fascinated for a long time in how humans can have a general music creative vocabulary, um, you know, probably drawn from exposure to music from various historical periods and genres. But then like if they're given a task and a couple of exemplars of a specific target style, um, you know, we're quite good at at coming up with um, new but clearly um recognizable in terms of a target style uh, music so I I was interested in that you know based on things I was being asked to do from music GCSE onwards um and interested in how other people could do it so then I got interested in trying to essentially model or explain how that works
0: interesting and so when you say model this is what you're talking about with the training this is will explain it to us what is it in in your work
1: yeah I mean a model is you know a simplified explanation of of the world right and sometimes it's so simplified that it it's unrealistic or it's reductive other times it's kind of it's good enough that you can then do other things with it that you couldn't do before and I think that's where you know cool things happen but yeah a concrete example would be you know if I wanted to, Um, come up with a a computational approach to generating MIDI-like data. So like, you know, symbolic representations of music, you know, uh, start times and pitches of notes would be, you know, the simplest thing. Then I could define um, some code that analyzed a collection of existing files that are in an appropriate format, like MIDI, um, and essentially kind of looked at transitions that occur in those MIDI files and then kind of either use a neural network, which would kind of begin to understand the connections between those events and the, the, the frequency and likelihood of certain transitions or some other approach. Like I've done a lot of work on something called a Markov model. Um, basically, you figure out how a composer or a compo- or composers go from one musical event to another right and then once you can do that well given one example of a musical event you can get note or chord or event two and then you do it again for event two and it gives you event three you don't necessarily get coherence in the short medium or long term you don't get self reference from just that alone but it's part of a could be part of a more complex model
0: Really interesting. Um, and you've previously issued the call to action that music psychologists should harness and use this technology as it is ever improving. To the listeners who are not yet convinced, though, why should they engage with these techniques? And if they were to do so, what would you recommend as an entryway to it?
1: Yeah, good good question. I think from a, a researcher's point of view, or just someone who's interested in music, it's kind of... it's curious and it's like it can be inspiring to see you know what else is out there and what can it do that it couldn't do um five years ago or so um i generally distinguish between creative and analytic um tasks in music and then you know if i'm looking at or taking my own computational approach to something um that will be an analytic um model or a generative model so probably a good entry point would actually be on the analytic side so far in this conversation we've we've mainly talked about you know music generation which is like creative but i think a good example of an analysis task that computational approaches have really got a lot better at is source separation um so this would be where you've you've got like a an mp3 or a wav file and um you want to like split it back up we as humans can hear perhaps that there's you know a clarinet or a drum beat or a vocal line um but if you don't have the stems if you were not party to the original recording and composition of that material it's 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 kind of that's what you've got you've got the mix but um source separation basically tries to reverse engineer that and turn it back into stems and it's it's become quite impressive in the last um five years Um, So I think that opens up a lot of possibilities for hearing inside and hearing aspects or details of recordings that in the final mix might have been masking one another. Um, So you could write essays, have insights into music that wasn't possible before. So I think that'd be really cool. Um, And then you can prepare stimuli for experiments that still kind of sound like professional recordings. But if you want to isolate a particular aspect of it for the purposes of your music psychological hypothesis, you can do that now.
0: We run alongside an online speaker series in which people working loosely in the field of music, psychology and cognition present their work and start a conversation. These take place at 2.30 GMT on Fridays and are totally free and accessible to you all. You can find the joining instructions on the Music Cognition Matters website, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. As well as chatting to me for the podcast today, Tom presented as part of the speaker series last Friday. Can you give us an overview of what you covered in your presentation?
1: So in the presentation on Friday, I think I started with source separation um, because I think it's such a clear example with myriad applications Um, I then moved on to another analytic task, which was pattern discovery, which is when you've got a piece or a song or you've got multiple pieces or songs and you don't know, and the computer doesn't know before it runs, you don't know what's interesting or important in that music. There might be riffs, there might be themes, there might be repeat sections. Um, But the idea is that as a human listener, once we've listened to the song, maybe once, but definitely it's something that we notice stuff over repeat listens that we didn't notice the first time or the first 50 times. Um, That's the challenge, right? Of pattern discovery. And, And we do it. And we have heuristics to, to make it so that we can basically cope with the burden of that task. Like if we did it in a more mathematical way, it would be hugely dull and there'd be so many patterns, that um, we wouldn't be able to make sense of it. So, you know, what the human brain does in pattern discovery is quite interesting. Um, And I kind of know some of the things about what our brain does, because when you try to do it computationally, you do get typically, you know, way too many patterns that are there mathematically, but barely noticeable musically. Anyway, talked about pattern discovery and then um, talked about some stuff in the Um, Domain of, initially it was work that was intended for game audio or audio um, sound effects for um, extended reality, but it's actually um, a technique that we used quite a lot in producing the track for the AI song contest. So um, that was the Music Cognition Matters talk.
0: Thank you. And as I said, if you want to join us for those talks, then you can find joining instructions on our website, www.mus-cog-matters.glitch.me. Invite your colleagues, your students, your friends and family, and anyone who you think would be interested in this subject. So I'm always interested to know what else people are working on. Have you got any other research projects happening that we can look forward to hearing more about in the future?
1: Yes, (laughs) there's, um, there's one that um, relates to the earlier conversation around, um, you know, being fearful of AI. Um, It's a project that involves considering who are the users and who are the contributors to um generative AIs in in the domain of music um, so I've basically been designing and developing um a web service where people can kind of come and choose models and certain parameters on those models to get music generated it could be audio it could be MIDI um, it could be lyrics And then the idea is to kind of think about who are the contributors, who makes that possible. And like, broadly speaking, there are three types. There's the, there's the creators, the musicians who've like basically made audio or made music that then the models are being trained on. So you've got the, you've got the music makers, then you've got the people who train the models. So they didn't necessarily write the code that created the algorithm, but they know how to train a model on new data that can then be used to make music so those are like the um what should we call them like the model runners or the model trainers is probably the best term and then the third type contributor would be the person who originally wrote the algorithm uh you know wrote how the generative mechanisms work um during training and after um that you know is a way to reimagine musical ecosystems such that the contributors we feel might be fairly compensated or remunerated for their uh, work. Um, so I'm quite excited about that um, because I feel like musicians got a pretty raw deal before generative AI became such a big thing. And uh, you know, going back to our earlier conversation about like, companies will just use whatever's cheapest and quickest and reaches a certain quality bar. Um, So I don't think musicians will necessarily get a better deal out of that world. So, yeah, trying to imagine and actually implement new worlds that might be fairer for musicians.
0: We'll definitely watch out for for more information on that. My final question that I ask all guests is what are the most interesting questions that have not yet been explored in music cognition, music psychology? What are the topics that interest you and that we can still learn more about?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I was telling some of my undergrad students on Tuesday about the Wundt curve and about um, you know how we can write a piece of music. And even though the technology has moved beyond this, the vast majority of people listen to an authoritative version of a song. And it's essentially the same for all listeners. Um, I think Apple is making some steps in providing um, spatial audio renderings via um, the, um, the Apple Music offering. Um, but I guess from a music psychological point of view, you know, no one's vent curve is exactly the same as another person's, right? And I guess that's why different music genres or different remixes of songs exist, because they really tap into people's personal preferences in music. Um, So I kind of imagine uh, like a set of questions that haven't really been fully addressed yet and maybe they haven't even been asked around how we can utilize technology that is already at our disposal, but for basically hitting anyone's sweet spot for like a particular version of a song based on, you know, knowing relatively harmless or perhaps more scary and involved information about their background and their listening habits right like um i think that would be a cool um project that um hasn't yet um really come to to life in the world
0: interesting some interesting ethical questions there that i think you have foreseen already so let's uh we'll see how you navigate those yeah Um, Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your work with me. Um, We're really looking forward to to seeing how that progresses. And congratulations again on your success in the AI Song Contest.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Mimi.
0: Thanks for listening. And I hope to welcome you back for our next episode. This episode was produced by Ben Forsdick and supported by the University of York Enhancing Research Culture Fund. spins me around Vertigo Just love is in vain Trying to maintain But we're losing control Vertigo Said we're losing control i yeah.